Hello, goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another episode of my Haunted Life podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How is everyone doing today? Am I the only one who's a day late on everything this week? I swore today was Thursday, and I had lots of podcast time. Obviously, today is Friday for those listening the day it comes out. I messed that up. Anyways, I hope you are all doing well, and I hope you are all ready for Halloween. I hope you have your costumes and your candy and whatever else. Our week has been difficult. Um, I had this whole week planned to do podcast stuff and get a special Halloween episode up and get a special up for the uh, Patreon. They're going to come. They're just going to be slightly late, unfortunately. Because um, my shows were finally over. And then we found out our sweet baby kitten, who's not a baby, he's like 12, 13 years old, is sick. (laughs) So it's been a lot of running around to the vets, figuring things out. And then we're also leaving this weekend for a funeral. And this has not been a fun week. (laughs) We haven't done our jack-o'-lanterns or anything yet and I hate not having a jack-o'-lantern for Samhain. That's just weird. Um, I have some fake ones though. So we're gonna do that. Or at least our person who is taking care of the cats while we're gone. Which was another vet visit to train them how to take care of the cats. Or take care of him while we're gone. So, when I finally thought we were going to get a break, it gets even crazier. Um, But yes, I want pictures of your Halloween, since it sounds like your guys' is going to be far more fun than me. Mine. I will be in North Carolina on the uh, Carolina Renaissance Festival site for anyone who's out and about. I will be dressed up, so that'll be exciting. No surprise, I'll be dressed up as a witch. I personally, when we get home, we're going to do our Halloween tradition of doing the jack-o'-lanterns. We get back on the second, so it won't be too bad. So yes, post those pictures. I want to live vicariously through you all. A little bit of housekeeping. Like I said, I mentioned the Patreon. We're having so much fun with the top 10 episodes. We've done uh, haunted bathrooms, poltergeist cases, the animal spirits I think were the most popular. I'm working on, (laughs) almost done with it, Uh, the Halloween episode is going to be top 10 witches. Some of them are historical. The big thing is a weird legend around them. I try to keep 
the haunted aspect to it. So it was kind of hard to narrow down. I did. But you'll see. Maybe if I get a chance, I'll do it in my witch costume on Halloween <laughs> on the Carolina Renaissance site. That could be fun. But yes, hop on there, check it out. It's only $2 to support the show. I think the episodes are $5 a month. I don't remember right now. Totally useless. Obviously, I thought it was Thursday. Anyways, uh, one thing nice about doing this Friday morning is I'm less terrified to tell you this story. This week, I'm doing the case that scared the hell out of me as a child. And it has stayed with me throughout my life. And that is of the Sally House. Ugh. I remember watching all about it on sightings at the time and following the case as much as I could. What, I was like six or seven or eight. I'm totally dating myself, but that's okay. But this is a good one, you guys. And it just terrified me. <laughs> Sally is said to be a little girl that haunts a house in Atchison, Kansas at 508 North 2nd Street. I uh, usually wouldn't put in the exact address, but I feel like this is a special case. Sally isn't a nice spirit. In fact, she would move toys, start fires, and uh, physically attack the residents in the house. And these attacks in the form of bloody scratches would form in front of eyewitnesses. And were even caught on film live in front of investigators several times. So, <laughs> let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. Deborah and Tony Pickman moved into the house in late 1992 with their newborn baby, Logan. At first, they didn't have any issues in the house, but as we will see, that quickly changed. Their first inkling that something was wrong was when they noticed weird, blurred, cloudy objects appearing in family photos. And to be fair, they're kind of hard to describe, like when you look at them. But the best I can say is weird blurry shapes would appear. They almost look like water droplets, 
or mercury is like the best way if you ever played with liquid mercury. Most of the photos are of Deborah at what looks like Christmas to start and then there are there's two objects on either side of her. And then things just keep getting weir weirder after the new year. The lights in the house would dim. Their dog, Sasha, would growl at the nursery and refuse to go in. They assumed it was the leftover scent of previous pets, which totally makes sense. Of course, I had to look it up. Sasha is a purebred Samoy. They also had three cats, but I don't know if they play a part in the story too much. As I was finishing the podcast, I realized that Deborah has a book out about this. And I don't know if I want to read it. <laughs> I should, but maybe later. So, the newborn baby, Logan, he would wake up almost every hour, which isn't totally unheard of, but he would act like someone was playing with him. And they didn't think too much about that either. Babies do strange things like that sometimes. And then their neighbor saw the nursery light always on and thought that was weird. So they asked Deborah. I'm picturing like a little old lady who probably wanted to give the new mother advice on taking care of their baby. But I don't know for sure, so don't quote me. Deborah was shocked because she actually never left the light on. So one of my questions with that is I'm wondering if the light would turn off before Deborah and Tony got to the nursery, so they never saw it on. One morning, Tony noticed something odd as he was going downstairs. A photo of the family was hanging completely straight, but upside down. He righted it, dismissing it as a gesture that he'd done something to irritate Deborah. I'm sorry. I don't know. I don't think it matters how mad I am at my husband. I have never thought about flipping over one of our pictures. So it just hangs upside down. I don't know if this is something she has a history of. It just seemed weird. I also can't help but think my husband probably wouldn't notice right away either. But that kind of makes me want to try it now. Anyways, I saw in one interview many years later someone asking him why he would think it was Deborah flipping the picture upside down. And he said he just couldn't conceive of any anyone else doing it. Like, who else would have done it? So, it had to be Deborah. They weren't thinking they were haunted. He didn't say anything to her about it. If she had done it because she was upset, the message was received, and he didn't want to bring it up and start a fight. I'd like to remind everybody, this is the early 90s. 
Tony wanted to surprise Deborah one day by cleaning the house while she was at work, perhaps as a way to not have any more pictures get turned upside down. Deborah worked at the local library. As he used the vacuum, it would shut off every time he got near the nursery. The cord was unplugged, but it wasn't from his motion as there was still plenty of slack. And this just kept happening to him. And he thought this was very strange. Then he heard music. He found the baby's mobile mobile turning over the crib. It hadn't been going when he was in there cleaning. It began to turn faster and faster. And a cold chill went down Tony's spine. I did read in one place that after this occurrence, Tony was completely against Logan sleeping in the nursery from there on. I don't know if that's what happened, but they're, they're starting to take notice, at least Tony is taking notice of weird things. In July of 1993, Deborah's sister, Karen Lauder, came to visit and help around the house with the new baby. One night, Tony found stuffed animals in the nursery placed in a circle with their backs to each other. Almost in like a little animal ritual circle. He got Deborah and Karen to see if they had done it, but neither admitted to it. They decided one of them must be messing with the others. So they put all the stuffed animals away, including a bear that they placed on the chair in the room, turned the lights off, and they left. Later, they came back to find the light was turned on and a bear w- and the bear was off the chair, sitting in what would have been the middle of the bear circle. Deborah personally liked the idea of having a ghost. It was a cool story to tell people. But then things escalated and got violent. One time when they were getting ready to go to Tony's parents' house, Tony was putting the car seat in in the back and the baby started crying. Out of nowhere, Tony felt sharp pains on his back. When Deborah checked, there were scratches about five inches long just down his back. And this was just such a weird situation because Tony's the one getting all the negativity. They were put in touch with a local psychic named Barbara. When Barbara came to the house, she got the name Sally and described her as a little girl. When she walked into the nursery, she started having issues breathing. Barbara said that Sally liked the nursery and suggested perhaps making a corner of the nursery that was Sally's. Like buy her her own toys and everything, just this is Sally's area. Deborah was all about this. Her maternal instincts took over 
and she would talk to the spirit very lovingly, treat it basically like you would a lost child. She even took more pictures trying to capture an image of Sally. Deborah once bought her a doll and left it wrapped in the corner of the room. So just, I'm not sure if it was like wrapping paper, it just says wrapped, at least in the box. Deborah later found the doll sitting next to the crib, the wrapping and the box still perfectly intact. So somehow someone got this box or this doll out of its box without like taking it out of the box. The box is fine. So there's a lot of questions behind that. Did it dematerialize the doll? Whatever. It's weird. In another instance, she bought Sally a pad of paper and crayons, and Deborah would ask Sally questions and hope to get answers from her spirit girl. Once, when she asked the spirit how old she was, and then a few days later, there was a seven on the piece of paper. So she's actively communicating with her. Tony, however, had a much different relationship with Sally. Tony was working third shift, so overnight, which would make sense that they're having these experiences at different times. I know when my husband worked third shift, it was like we never saw each other. So it makes sense that they're both having different experiences in the house and not witnessing what the other one's witnessing. So he was getting home around 7 a.m. When he got home on Halloween 1993, he went to get a glass of orange juice from the kitchen. He turned to see a little girl in early 1900s clothing standing behind him. He dropped his orange juice, shattering the glass, and she disappeared. He ran to wake up Deborah to tell her what happened. Tony was an artist, so he drew it for her. So this was a, this is a thing. There's two different drawings of Sally out there. And depending on the website, they're both accredited to Tony. I'm not sure which one's which. I didn't have a time to deep dive, but if you know, let me know. Deborah was getting rather upset that Sally didn't show herself to Deborah and asked the spirit to do so numerous times, but she never did. She was getting rather jealous of these experiences, even though, mind you, not all of them were great experiences. She was completely convinced that Sally was the spirit of a lost little girl, but Tony, who was getting scratched, believed it was something that was much darker. This caused a lot of friction between them, and they would fight about what Sally was while in the house. That is something you're not supposed to do in this house, is fight. And things just kept getting worse. Things like fires would start by themselves. 
especially in the nursery. One day, Tony's mom came to visit, and even though they told her what was happening in the house, she absolutely refused to acknowledge it. She just ignored it. Just refused to pay any knowledge to it. So I don't know if they were like trying to talk to her about it or what, but she just would not acknowledge it. This appeared to piss the spirit off. An oil lamp was thrown at Tony's mother's head, just missing her by inches. And think 90s, like those 80s glass ones were still everywhere, 70s, 80s glass ones. Those are hefty, especially if they're filled with oil. One night, Tony started to hear scratches behind the bed, almost like an animal was digging. Like, through the wall, through the bed frame, he wasn't 100% sure where it was coming from. Just in that area, exactly. He looked around, trying to figure it out, and he just couldn't. He's like bent over checking this out, and when he stood up, he turned around, and there was Sally again, standing behind him. And she reached out and grabbed Tony's wrist. Like, he could feel her physically touch him and hold. This scared the hell out of him. And he tried to go back to bed and just ignore it. You know, we've all hid the covers over our heads in these situations. Maybe not this one. I think I would have left. But the next morning, he discovered burn marks were left on his arm where Sally had grabbed him the night before. Burn marks. Yeah. In the shape of little fingers. No. After this, even though she still wanted to believe that Sally was a spirit of a little girl, Deborah could not deny that they needed some help. This case gained national attention when a crew from the TV show Sightings came to investigate after Deborah called them in. I'm just like picturing her just watching Sightings one night and see the call if you have any weird stories to tell or whatever and being like, let's give it a chance. At this point, the Pickmans didn't want their identities revealed or where they lived. So they they didn't seem like they were doing this for publicity. Like even Tony's face is completely blurred. Deborah's isn't, but Tony's is. Cause he, and you could just every once in a while hear it in his voice. That he's just terrified. They came to the house several times documenting the strange occurrences and the film crew even had their own experiences. They would hear weird static on the equipment that they had never 
heard before. Like, these aren't newbies. They've been doing this professionally for a while, and they would have no idea where the sound was coming from. Never this weird static. They would get weird energy changes and cold spots, and on numerous occasions, they caught actual scratch marks forming on Tony. They, they would literally get this on film, where they'd just be sitting there, and suddenly Tony would be like, oh hey, I'm getting scratched, and they'd pull up his shirt, and they could watch like the the blood drops form it terrified me as a child i will say my favorite is when everybody was outside and i think setting up for interviews so the the crew was there and deborah was in the kitchen i think doing dishes or doing something in that area and she looks up out her kitchen window, I think towards the crew, and notices that there is a rose in a vase just sitting there, all pretty. But something was wrong with the rose. It was burnt, like in parts charcoal. Like this was a fresh flower. The top of the rose was still moist and it didn't look withered but the lower part of the flower was burnt to ash I feel like I need to experiment with that and see if I could possibly fake it because a lot of the criticism around this case was it was faked could this be things that they were doing just behind the film crew's back? Could uh, One theory was Tony was faking the whole thing and nobody was in on it, even Deborah. He was just doing this to mess with his wife. And then it, it went too far because she believed it. I don't know, because with this one in particular, you would think you would at least smell something, like that, you know, the film crew's in and out, but you would think somebody would have smelled something, some kind of burn, uh, gas, something. And the weirdest part is when they look back at the footage, just, I think it's just random footage walking through the kitchen, only moments before, the rose was perfectly intact. So yeah, I think I'm gonna have to try that. <laughs> I'm just gonna randomly buy roses to burn. See what happens. On a visit to the house, Renowned paranormal investigator and psychic Peter James, who we talked about all the way back on episode four with Fiona Horn when we talked about the Queen Mary. He came to the house with the sightings crew. Without 
any previous knowledge, he was able to identify that there was a little girl in the house. If you watch the sightings episode, he walks up to the house and sees her in an upstairs window looking down at them. And what was weird is he mentions that he thought they said, or that he thought it was supposed to be a boy ghost. But he immediately saw a little girl. So I don't know if they gave him a little bit of information. I don't know. But if you watch it, he's very confused. They're like, oh, it's a boy. No. And he's describing this little girl up in the window. He got the impression that the house was once a doctor's office. And a little girl died there from something to do with her feet or lungs. He got the feeling that three people had died in the house and that there was a lot of despair there. He even encountered encountered a weird, strange presence at the top of the stairs that felt very menacing. He said that it felt like it wanted him out of the house. Mind you, at the top of the stairs is where the nursery is. The room's like right off to the left. Peter James also wandered the local cemetery where he was drawn to a really weathered tombstone. And it was so weathered, you couldn't even read it. But the sightings researchers looked up the cemetery records that it found and it said belonged to a Sally Isabel Hall. On another sightings visit, they brought paranormal investigator Carrie Gaynor, who at this time had been a paranormal investigator for about 20 years and claimed to have worked on over 850 cases. He is best known for his work on the Entity case. I was actually going to put the Entity case into my top 10 Poltergeist episode, but I just couldn't bring myself to do more research on it. It's dark. Maybe I'll do it for a full episode on it sometime, but it's honestly a really rough one. Uh, Long story short, there's a lot of rape involved. (laughs) Anyways, uh, sightings brought in Carrie Gaynor. For a lot of the sighting segments, they had Gaynor review some of their findings, which made him really want to go in the house. Like previous stuff, like the previous Tony and Deborah interviews and everything, any weird evidence they caught. And he was always like their guy to talk to. So he, you know, really wanted to actually go and experience this place. During their visit, Gaynor employed several different techniques to investigate Sally. One of them was having all the lights off in the house and just having oil lamps produce the light while the family and Gaynor sat in the living room. I'm wondering if it's the same oil lamps that got thrown at Tony's mom. I wasn't sure if it shattered or not. The whole house is rigged with cameras and other devices to capture anything that might happen. 
According to Gaynor, he watched Tony get scratched 11 different times that night. Tony sat less than a foot away from him all night. And when Tony did leave his presence, say for a bathroom break, Gaynor would take off would have Tony take off his shirt when he got back and examine him for new scratches before they continued. And this, like I said earlier, was part of the, the people claiming that it was fake thing, that they would, Tony would leave the room for five seconds, go in, scratch himself, come back, wait for anyone or wait a little bit and then tell people, oh, I'm feeling like I'm getting scratched. So when they look, it's already kind of inflamed. But when you look immediately, like they were saying, he as soon as he got back, they would examine him as well. There would be nothing because it was still new. That's... I don't know. I feel like that's reaching. That's a lot to do. And to do it all the time without getting caught by one camera doing it? I don't know. I know I'm personally not like that. I don't want to say graceful, obviously, but I just, I have a hard time with the idea that he was never caught scratching himself if they faked this. They did capture a weird sound one time. I think it was this time. And the family's all sitting there in the living room with their baby. So you could hear that there's baby noises. But I don't know about this one. What do you guys think? During the last 20 years, I've investigated about 850 cases, and during that time, I have never come across anything like this. I think we've got something very interesting and very exciting. Our startling discovery is analyzed next. During our most recent investigation into the Heartland Ghost, we heard this. I'd like to, for you to show them that you're really here. That anomalous low-level noise wasn't heard in the field by producer Craig Armstrong or any other member of our crew. But back in our sightings offices, in the midst of an edit session, Armstrong and editor Mark Quinn Anderson heard the ghostly sounds that seemed to come in response to Jeff's plea. We immediately took copies of the suspect tape to two diverse audio experts. Rick Wilson, president of Digisonics, is a forensic audio specialist who works routinely with the CIA and FBI and has also analyzed black box recordings for the FAA. We looked for a lot of the, the characteristics that would immediately identify it as a definitely mechanical sound, as a definitely electronic sound. And those were ruled out. See, one thing that makes this sound interesting and eliminates a lot of possibilities right off the bat is that above about 500 hertz, there's nothing there. 
there's nothing in this sound. There's a lot of background noise, but that's constant before and after the sound. But when this sound comes in, it's all low frequency and that's it. And we cannot, in our own bodies, make that sound. If the sound is not natural, could it be supernatural? For an answer, we turn to Electronic Voice Phenomena Authority, Sarah Eastep. I've been taping for 18 years, and I've investigated a number of haunted homes, houses, properties, locations, and I've never heard anything quite like it. Um, it sounds more like an energy sound, uh, perhaps put out by the other side, it's interesting that it came right after Jeff asked them to ask Sally to please let let them know that she was here. And then this low rumbling sound started and built up in volume, an energy sound that perhaps they produced at his request. Very, very interesting. Is it a ghost? Um, I really have absolutely no way of knowing. I really don't. Um, my best bet is that it's something magnetic and how that magnetism was introduced is anybody's guess. I'd like to, for you to show them that you're really here. After the sightings crew left, things I t intensified in the house. Tony said that in the house he could not think a happy thought. Like he was fine outside the home or at work, shopping, whatever. But in the house, he could just not over, he was just so overcome with despair and he could not shake it. He would have thoughts of hurting Deborah. And it got to the point where he wanted to hurt his wife. In particular, he wanted to slit her throat. Yeah, that, 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 this isn't going well. One morning, Tony was trying to get some sleep. Again, he worked third shift. When he began hearing more disturbing sounds again, that something trying to come through the wall noise, that digging. Then he started to hear whispers of multiple people around him. And this frightened him. Drawers began opening and closing around him. The bed began to shake. Tony thought he was in hell. Suddenly he saw what he described as dust particles come together and begin to take the shape of something. It was a woman he tr and this woman jumped on his chest and tried to strangle him and he fought her as much as he could and then suddenly gone everything was quiet she was gone the nothing was rumbling or just gone poof he was absolutely terrified because he knew this wanted to kill him. Deborah came home from the library and found Tony after the chaos. He was curled up beside the bed, terrified. All 
of the things Deborah had bought for Sally were boxed up and put into the attic. The Pickmans finally moved out in 1994, just around two years they spent in the house. They had an exorcism performed on themselves and the house before they left. It apparently was not enough. The sightings crew stayed in contact with the family and came to investigate the house when they moved out. According to Peter James, Sally was still there. Sightings also set up the first online ghost hunt where people could get onto a forum through American Online and ask questions of the investigators and get up to the minute updates to what is happening. Like, there, there's no video, it's not talking to each other, it's not, no visual. It's just a forum. It's so 90s. I'm going to post the video of all this, of all the sightings episode. There's a compilation. I'm going to post it in the Facebook group. Because it's just like, it's brilliant. And you can see how it is the predecessor to a lot of live ghost shows now. At the same time, it's just quaint and amusing. That's <laughs> just a forum. While they're doing this, this is like the first time people can interact with them. Because at this point, they actually had stopped hiding their identities. They had moved. I don't think they had disclosed where they moved. But they stopped hiding. And they were using their real names. And they weren't blurred, or Tony wasn't blurred anymore. And through this form, a lot of people got to talk to them. And a lot of people accused them of faking it. And you just, like at one of them, they, they have, they're filming the crew while this is happening for an episode. And they're just like shocked that people think it's fake. It's like, are you serious? There were two days of this where they just did the forum. The first day, people could talk to Peter James. And the second day, they brought in Carrie Gaynor and the Pickmans. And this was, like I said, the time they revealed their identities. The investigation was pretty slow until the Pickmans showed up and the attacks continued. So who was Sally? What was Sally? What What is the history of the house and hauntings and, or was it Deborah and Tony that were haunted? Was something attached to them? So the good news for Deborah and Tony, it does seem to be connected to the house and not them. It seems like a lot of their experiences started to die away after they left. I think 
I saw something that was like three months where they were still having issues. So they thought it was attached to them. That's why they did the exorcism. And after that, it seemed like, other than, you know, the psychological scars, it left them alone. The house in Atchison, Kansas was built in 1870s. There were three deaths known to have happened in the house. Michael Finley in 1872, Richard True in 1918, and Agnes True, 1939. And I believe Finley's and then the True's owned the house. It was, it like kind of became a family home. No Sally's. There were two Sally's that lived in the house throughout its history, however. In 1905, Sally Isabel Hall lived in the house. That name might sound familiar. This is the grave that Peter James was drawn to in the cemetery. So that might sound like an awesome hit. But Sally didn't die in the house. Of course, a spirit doesn't necessarily need to have died in a place to haunt it. It, it could have lived there and had really nice memories and wanted to go back there kind of thing. And the time period would be right since Tony saw a young girl in turn-of-the-century clothing. But... Here's the thing. Isab Sally Isabel Hall was 34 years old when she lived in the house. And she was also an African-American woman. I have heard that there are theories that something was up with this Sally. Like witchcraft, Satanist kind of stuff. And she came back as a little white girl ghost to scare people because like porcelain doll not as scary I don't know about that it is strange that her name got brought into this in December 1948 Dick Mize and family moved into the house and they lived there only a short time if I remember correctly, it was only like a couple months. I think it was like 10 months. It was less than a year. Why they stayed there so shortly, nobody knows. One of their children is named Sarah Sally Margaret Mize, but uh, she's still alive. So that doesn't seem to fit the Sallys historically. But the story continues. There is so much research on this. It's amazing. Uh, according to visitatchison.com, so like their big tourism city website, the house was the residence of an Atchison physician right after it was built. The front served as office space and exam rooms while the doctor and his family lived upstairs. 
One day, a frantic mother arrived carrying her six-year-old daughter, Sally. The child had collapsed from severe abdominal pains. The doctor diagnosed appendicitis and knew there was no time to delay surgery. I had appendicitis about the same age, so that kind of gave me a weird connection to the story and I didn't like having any more connections to the story. <clears throat> Believing the appendix would soon burst, which mine did, uh, the doctor began cutting Sally before the anesthesia took full effect. Sally's screams suddenly stopped as she grew pale and limp. She died on the operating table and now haunts the house since she died in turmoil. <coughs> Excuse me. According to sightings, the doctor, which I never got a name. Again, I didn't dig that hard for this one. It's been crazy. I think I'm going to have to do this one again. Uh, the doctor was later arrested for an unrelated reason. And he was apparently at this time mayor and was removed from office. I'm going to find out why. I couldn't find any primary documents about this. But... It came from the Atchison Tourism Board, so hopefully they have their history right. And the house did have a history of weird happenings. Uh, Ethel Anderson, who lived in the house from 1958 to 1990. So she was there many years. And she never reported any kind of activity. Except for the fact that there was a mysterious fire in the upstairs room to the left and no cause was ever found. No, thank you. In 1990, Bobby and Colleen moved in with their three children. Their daughter, Heather, who was five at the time, started playing with an imaginary friend named Sally. When Heather got into trouble, she would say that she didn't do it, Sally did it, or Sally made me do it. But that seemed to be the extent of the activity. Again, the family just thought it was their daughter's imaginary friend. The family was only in the house for eight months. So maybe it didn't have a chance to go insane. Maybe the fact that it had a little friend made it fine. Who knows? Heather Humbert, the young girl with the imaginary friend, was once shown the sketch done of Sally by Tony Pickman and she immediately identified it as her childhood friend, Sally. Kind of 
come on. It seemed like there was a history of hauntings. It wasn't just them. There seemed to be some, um, some info. And I'm not sure if it's Ethel Anderson. I think it is. But she was looking at the time. I think so. She was watching the sightings episode. Because, you know, we didn't have that many channels. Everybody watched the same things back then. And they recognized the house even before they uh, released where it was and the names or anything. She recognized her childhood home. And like her brothers were watching this like, oh my god, are you seeing this? Kind of thing. And she actually walked the sightings crews through the house to be like, oh, and this is where the mysterious fire was. It's weird. So, where is the house now? In 1992, Les Smith Jr. and his brother, both living in Atchison, Kansas at the time, purchased the house and then rented it out to Deborah and Tony. After the Pickmans moved out, another family moved in. Of course, that's what's happened. One time, the landlord, Les Smith, went over to the house to check on something in the basement and discovered what appeared to be a pentagram on the ground, a cauldron, and an area that looked like it was set up as an altar space. There was also, like, a black cloak hanging from a rafter or a hook or something. The most, like, generic ritual setup possible. Just imagine that. He believed the woman was practicing Satan worship. There is still a burn mark on the floor, however, where he discovered the pentagram. Though it doesn't look like a pentagram, it's just a weird burn scar on the ground in the basement. Now, a lot of ghost hunters like to focus on that spot, trying to find out what that woman was trying to contact. Between 1999 and 2001, Mary Legit lived there with her daughter, Legit. It was reported by her daughter that there was some strange and frightening non-physical activity, but I couldn't find more detail. Since 2004, for the most part, the house has remained vacant. And paranormal investigators have been allowed in to do research. On the visitatchison.com site I mentioned earlier, the big tourism site, you can book a tour or a night's stay in the house. Ah, 
From November to August, it costs $125 per person with a two-person minimum. For September and October, the price goes up to $150 per person. I do want to throw it back. I can't remember which episodes, but we talked to Stephanie from McIntyre Manor. No, McIntyre Villa. And that's how she got into the paranormal was she was staying at the Sally house and then heard that McIntyre Villa was up for sale. As someone who's been into the paranormal their entire lives, I don't know. I don't know, you guys. I don't know if I could do this one. There's a really uh, amusing episode of BuzzFeed Unsolved with them going to the house. But I, I, I think this one would give me pause, especially since I'm cheap. So what was Sally? She could be a little girl spirit who died tragically in the house. Appendicitis sucks. I can uh, agree with that. Some people believe that she was a demon masquerading as a child. Actually, on an episode of Paranormal Witness on Sci-Fi, which is now sometimes on Travel Channel as Extreme Paranormal Witness. I don't know why, but whatever. Uh, Tony and Deborah have their own episode about the experiences. I was so excited because I hadn't seen them in freaking years. And then they were on Paranormal Witness. But I actually like Paranormal Witness. They really focused on Tony's attack, so the episode was entitled The Harpy. And remember that dust coming together and the woman trying to kill him? That was what he described her as was harpy-like. Some people believe that there are two spirits in the house. That of the little girl, Sally, and that of a darker, demonic type. There seems to be some evidence for this, actually. In some of those pictures, Deborah got That was my heater kicking on and I almost had a heart attack. In some of those pictures Deborah took of the blurry ghost spots, there appears to be two distinct shapes. One is that like a beige white color. One that is black with blue accents. These are Both have been captured numerous times throughout the house on camera. Sometimes together, some separately. If you are feeling brave enough, you can go find out for yourself. If you pay for me, I might go with you. Just don't say I didn't warn you.
Thank you to everyone out there listening today. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you like the show, please tell your friends and family about it. Word of mouth goes a long way. I was just now looking and either I did something wrong or um, I forgot. Who knows? I did something wrong. Uh, I do not have all of my sources written down for this episode, but the ones I have, I will post in the show notes. If you have a story you want to share, don't forget to drop me a line at myhauntedlifepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow My Haunted Life Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Don't forget that we also have a My Haunted Life Podcast Facebook group, and we always have fun on there. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please subscribe to the Patreon page. You can support for as little as $2 a month. And that's it for the show. I'll see you all next week on my Haunted Life podcast. No, I won't. I lied. I'm taking a break in November. (laughs) I will see you when I get back on my Haunted Life podcast. And until then, stay haunted.